The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. A couple of Gators literally reunited Kyle Pitts and Van Jefferson, and I did not know what the two animals were looking at the sheets that we look at. I couldn't make out the tails. Those are Gators. That must be Photoshopped. Gators don't stand on their hind legs, and they definitely don't hug. They're reptiles. Are we sure? Regardless. Pitts, I don't know. I don't know. I need to do some research now after the show on the hugging habits of Gators. Maybe it's part of the mating dance. I do not know. My alligator knowledge is extremely limited, other than... They can kill you and eat you. So you're in, you're in South Carolina or Florida or anywhere like that where you see the alligators swimming around on the lagoons. Steer clear because despite the fact that we're atop the food chain, in those specific locations of the contiguous United States, we are not. Avoid the alligators. So anyway, Van Jefferson traded by the Rams after being in two snaps, two snaps on Sunday for the Rams. It's Puka Nakua. It's Cooper Cup. It's Tutu Atwell. And Ben Skoranek and Van Jefferson are the odd man out now that Cooper Cup's back. It's not a surprise. Sean McVay tried to word salad his way through the failure of Jefferson to be on the field for more than two snaps, but it was obvious. I was glad I wrote the item yesterday morning. He seems like the odd man out. By the end of the day, he's traded to the Falcons. The only thing surprising to me, Mike, is it's the Falcons. I would have expected more teams to be in the running for him. And maybe there were, maybe it was the Falcons. They Rams feel like that's going to be a higher draft pick, but you know, Van Jefferson's a a good two, three receiver. He had 50 catches for 802 yards and six touchdowns in 2021. I mean, he could play. He wasn't given a chance to play because the guys in front of him were better. He will get that chance to play in Atlanta. Boy, they miss Calvin Ridley right now. But maybe that'll open things up for Kyle Pitts because he hasn't been a big part of that offense. You look at the players on that offense and you think that's going to be a really potent offense and it hasn't been that yet. So I think Van Jefferson really helps the Falcons and surprise that's where he ended up because I would have thought more teams would have been in the running again. Maybe they were 
But I think this guy, for the cost that the Falcons got him for, I think it was a really good trade for the Falcons. Shereen, I don't think anybody else was. This has become this trade formula. This is the new we're giving the guy away move. The Rams have done it twice so far this year with Cam Akers and now with Van Jefferson. 2025 sixth-round pick from the Falcons in exchange for Jefferson and a 2025 seventh-round pick. So you get a six, you give a seven, you give up the player, you improve your draft position by one round in some future year from seven to six. We saw it with J.C. Jackson. We saw it with Randy Gregory. We saw it with Cam Akers. And now we've seen it with Van Jefferson. This is the new everything must go, going out of business. We're going to cut the guy if we don't get this little bit of face-saving ability to say, we have value in exchange for a guy we were otherwise done with. And I think the bottom line is this trade compensation shows they were done with Van Jefferson. Yeah, no question about that. He had played 75% of the snaps in the first five games, but as you said, not many of them came in that fifth game when Cooper Cup came back. So they have Cooper Cup back now. So he was the odd man out, and there's no way that he's going to get more snaps moving forward. But Mike, he's only 27 years old, and he's shown he can play in the NFL. So, you know, I I think the Falcons did well here in getting him. And I watched that. I had that game on Sunday, the Falcons against the Texans, and Desmond Ritter showed me a little bit in that game. So maybe they got something brewing in Atlanta. They're fully capable of winning that division. That division is up for grabs. Bucks are on top right now, but the Falcons have a shot to win that division. And I'm sure that played into their thinking of we need another weapon in offense, open up some things for, for our other players. And, and so they got Van Jefferson. And now you look at all their weapons, they're stacked there in Atlanta. And here's the bottom line. With the Rams and the receiving core, Shireen, there's the guys Matthew Stafford trusts and there's the guys he doesn't. He trusts Puka Nakua. He trusts Cooper Cup. I'm looking at, despite that 75% playing time in the first four games, week one, four catches for 24 yards, five targets. Yep. Week two, one catch for nine yards on four targets. Week three, one catch for 46 yards on three targets. Week four, two catches for 29 yards on three targets. Stafford wasn't throwing it to Van Jefferson. He's in the last year of his contract. They got something for him. They don't have to pay him the balance of his salary. It's not a huge salary. It's like $1.5 million. But they were ready to move on, and maybe he was ready to move on too. That's the other thing that, that happens, I think, with some Rams players. If you're not all in with the Sean McVay approach, you're all out. There's no middle ground. You either love it and you completely embrace it, or this isn't for me and I want out, and they tend to accommodate, if possible, the desire of the guys to get out. And I think this is a combination of Stafford wasn't throwing it to him, we don't need him right now because we have Cup and we have Nakua and we have that one, we have Skoronic, and maybe he wants out too. Because they could have waited. They got three more weeks. Yeah. All it takes is one injury to one player with one team. Hell, I, I'm surprised the Vikings didn't come calling. Kevin O'Connell's got Van Jefferson experience. Justin Jefferson's on injured reserve or at least headed there. He'll be gone for four weeks. They need a warm body. This is a guy they could have brought in for the 6-7 flip like the Vikings did with Cam Akers. So maybe they could have gotten more or maybe, I don't know, 
maybe maybe O'Connell knows. Maybe there's a limit to what Jefferson can do, and O'Connell wasn't interested. But the bottom line is they got nothing, next to nothing, for Van Jefferson. And now, I don't know. You know, Atlanta's – I mean, unless he's going to play quarterback. And, uh, hey, Desmond Ritter was great on Sunday against the Texans, but nobody really expected that. They've got the weapons. He's – how's he going to crack – the, the rotation there with all the guys they have, Shireen. Well, and that's a good question, Mike, especially stepping right in in the middle of the season and trying to learn the offense. So if he thinks 15 targets in five games isn't very much, he's probably not going to get very many in the next few weeks until he learns at least part of the offense. So, yeah, it, he may have a tough time at least initially breaking in, but, you know, injuries happen. And that's why sometimes, Mike, when they – basically give it we've talked about all the players who they've given away I'm not going to just give away a player because if I think he can help me if I have an injury at that position like I want depth on my team and I don't know there are just a lot of these players that teams are giving away that I think these guys can play and Ben Jefferson's a guy I think I would want there as a third fourth fifth receiver because I think he can play a little bit but you're right maybe more went into it maybe he wasn't happy with the 15 targets over the first five games and 75 percent of the plays which is not very many you're basically running routes for nothing trying to take some of the coverage away is basically all he was doing for most of the season eight catches 108 yards and no touchdowns so Maybe that played into it, too. You're right. Maybe he said, look, I'm not a part of this. I want to go somewhere else where I can get a chance to play. But now, you're right, he's going to have to prove to the Falcons that that he can play and he can learn the offense and all those things to break into that rotation. They've got him penciled in as the backup to Drake London. The other starting receiver is Mac Hollins. They've got Kaderil Hodge as the backup there. Scotty Miller also on the depth chart. But when Kyle Pitts, who... We're still not really sure if Kyle Pitts is going to be the guy that we thought he was going to be when he was drafted top 10. He had 1,000 yards as a rookie, but it just feels like there's a gear there. There's a level there that he's yet to fully achieve on a consistent basis. you got B. John Robinson, who's involved in the passing game. Cordell Patterson, who is kind of the odd man out in the backfield. They've got John U. Smith. So I, it, it's – I don't know how he fits. I don't know where he fits. And it's never easy when you change a team as a receiver, to step right in and have an impact. It's an offense you don't know. It's personnel you don't know. He's got the relationship with Pitts from college, but that's it. So it just shows you that that it was pretty bad for him with the Rams, bad enough that he sees this as a new beginning and a reason to feel good about being plugged into the Falcons on the fly as they try to build on what they were able to do this weekend at home against the Texans. Elsewhere in the NFC South, the team where – Van Jefferson's father, Sean, is the receivers coach, the Carolina Panthers. Let's have a listen to head coach Frank Reich. Some comments he made yesterday about the extent to which the owner of the team, who is not the general manager in contrast to Jerry Jones, David Tepper, a traditional owner, but he kind of likes to be involved in the team. Here's Reich commenting on the involvement of team owner David Tepper. He's super competitive. He wants to bring a winner to the Carolinas. He's, um, you know, wants it now, you know, wants it now and and pushes me and pushes us to that end. Um, He wants to do whatever it takes and turn over every stone, churn it as much as he has to 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 produce winning football. So 
Um, I appreciate those conversations. They're always very challenging. Um, he's a super competitive person, and um, he's not going to sit idly by. You know, there's different philosophies in ownership. You know what I mean? Some owners kind of stay stay away and and don't engage a whole lot. Other owners do, and his philosophy is he's going to engage. And um, and listen, it's only been a short experience, but it's been a really good experience. It hasn't been fun. You know, it's not fun. Those those meetings aren't. I wouldn't characterize them as fun meetings, um, but. Those meetings make me better, and I trust they make us better. It's kind of hard to reconcile. It's been a good experience. It hasn't been fun with hardly a beat between the two observations from Frank Reich, who had to deal last year with Jim Ursay. And from a personality standpoint, I can't imagine two owners more different than Jim Ursay and David Tepper for a variety of reasons for any and every reason you could imagine. But it feels like Ursay was getting more involved with the team last year in Indy and ultimately decided he had this crackpot idea to bring in Jeff Saturday to try to will him into becoming a competent NFL head coach despite having absolutely no experience in coaching other than, I think, high school. And now David Tepper, self-made, hard-charging, hedge fund billionaire, who desperately wants to will his way to having a winning team. And this is one of the things I love about football, even though it drives the fans crazy. You get these folks who have carved out a very important niche for themselves or niche if you're feeling particularly fancy in some sort of business where they've been wildly successful and they've earned billions. And they think that that accomplishment is transferable to the NFL. And it's not transferable to the NFL. I mean, the most successful owner of the last 30 years who bought his team nearly 30 years ago is Robert Kraft. And what did Robert Kraft do to win six Super Bowls? He took the keys, he found someone he trusted with the keys, And he threw the keys to him and he went to the suite and started schmoozing with the likes of Bon Jovi and others while he's watching the game and trusting Bill Belichick to do it all. David Tepper wants to get in there. He wants to get his hands in the dough, Shireen. And so far, he hasn't done a good job putting his hands in the dough because I think people are starting to wake up to the fact or the perception, and perception's reality, that Tepper wanted Bryce Young. And I, I, I saw somebody retweet an old Shefty tweet from March. Tepper likes Young, and Reich likes C.J. Stroud. And how's that worked out so far? Yeah, five-plus seasons he's owned the team, Mike. 29-53 and 53 with Tepper as their owner. This doesn't work like it does in the business world. You don't just step in, turn it around, and get involved in something that you really don't know anything about. I mean, Kraft did it the right way, handing the keys over to Belichick. They got lucky with Brady, and and here they are six championships later trying to figure out how to duplicate that over again. But so far, you're right. They picked Bryce Young and – 
C.J. Stroud has been the better quarterback so far. Maybe that, I mean, it's a small sample size. So five years from now, we may be saying both teams did great in this. But right now, today, it looks like Stroud's the better quarterback between the two guys. I think he has a little, well, I don't even know that. I was going to say he has a better roster, but I don't even know that he does because the Panthers' defense is better than the Texans' defense. So, I even know that. But right now, Stroud is is the better player. I've watched every one of his games. He's been terrific. He led them, in fact, to last second what they thought could be the winning points in the final two minutes against the Falcons last week. He did what he needed to do to win that game. It was just that the Texans' defense couldn't stop the Falcons from going down and, and winning at the end of the game. So, very good quarterback. They had their choice of quarterbacks. As you look back on it, Biggest game of the last season, Mike, the biggest regular season game of last season, or one of them, was the Texans winning in week 18. And everybody ripped uh, Lovey Smith for winning that game. As it turned out, he might have done them a favor because they would have taken Bryce Young as well. You think they would have taken Bryce Young? I, I do. Man, you know, the, the issue with Bryce Young, and great kid, interviewed him right before the draft, but – you know, they tell us it's a copycat league, and one of the biggest storylines last year is Tua Tonga-Vailoa might not be big enough to thrive as a quarterback yep. in the NFL, so the first pick the next year is a small quarterback. That didn't make any sense to me, to the extent that we see how teams jump on to the trends and react to the trends, because you've got owners who are going to ask you tough questions, but in Carolina, the owner became smitten with Bryce Young. We saw the little breadcrumbs throughout the draft process. He's there at the workouts. He loved the family, loved Bryce Young. They put so much stock in the S2 processing test, which C.J. Stroud apparently bombed, but he processes on the field pretty damn well. So the, the whole thing to me is mesmerizing, and you can't convince – one of these type A double positive personalities who have been wildly successful in some other line of business, that football isn't easy. It looks easy. I've been watching it all my life. I understand it. I get it. I'm good at, at learning concepts and processing in my own way. And I can come up with the right decisions to make as to how our team is going to be positioned for success. And you rattled off the numbers. It hasn't been good with David Tepper as the owner of the Carolina Panthers. And really, you know, being a minority owner of the Steelers is not quite the incubator that you would think it is. Jimmy Haslam came out of there. What have the Browns been the last 11 years? Not very good, although there's some reason for hope now, but we'll see. The Panthers have not been good with Tepper going from Steelers to Carolina. And Josh Harris and one of his main limited partners owned a piece of the Steelers before buying the Commanders. How's it looking so far there? Too early to tell. We'll see what kind of moves they make after the season. But, you know, again, I think a lot of these owners believe it's far easier than it is. So they get themselves involved. When the easiest thing to do is just go be a fan. Focus on the business side of it. Kraft got it right. And, you know, we talked about Jerry Jones last segment. He had Jimmy Johnson. Maybe Jimmy Johnson overcame the potential interference, worked around the personality of Jerry Jones as best he could to build a winner despite what Jones would have done. I mean, 
think about it. If somebody bought a team now and installed himself as general manager, in today's media environment, it wouldn't work. Jones got away with it because he pulled it off just before the media world exploded in a way that would have shouted him down from ever even thinking about making himself the GM. 1989, far different than where we are today. And even though he's done it for 34 years, I mean, the team has been at its best when he hasn't been the one with his hands on the wheel, Shireen. So I guess that's a lesson to all the owners out there. Look at what Kraft did. Look at what Jones has done. Look at what's happening with Tepper and ask yourself, can you resist the temptation? Can you suppress your own ego to just kind of sit there and be a fan? Enjoy the the food and drink in the suite. Hobnob with your VIP guests and let the football people make the football decisions. I wonder if David Tepper had a homeless man whisper to him to take the short quarterback. <laughs> he, was the he was the choice. But you're right, Mike. I, I think the, the Steelers have the right idea. The Patriots have the right idea. And you would think those guys who came out of the Steelers organization saw how they worked. Hire a coach. Uh, they keep that coach. And, and they're contenders every year. And that's the way you do it. And the Patriots did it, obviously, with Belichick, and, and they're figuring out now how to do it with, with the next – whoever the next coach is going to be, whoever the next quarterback's going to be. It's not going to be Mac Jones probably for much longer. But, you know, they're still trying to figure it out. But that is the way you do it. You let the football people run the football show. Shereen, I think we've accidentally stumbled onto something because I disagree with your assessment of the Steelers. I think Art Rooney the second. Under the guise of collaborative decision-making, cooperative, nobody takes credit, nobody gets blame. I think Art Rooney, in a very low-key, quiet, discreet way, has his hands as deep in the dough as David Tepper does. And maybe that's why Haslam has been involved and Tepper has been involved and maybe Harris will be involved. They've seen secondhand Art Rooney do it. And so they think that's the way you do it. And Art Rooney has the ability to suppress his own ego where there's no breadcrumb uh, trails of him being involved in running the team and involved in some of the decisions that never get credited him and he never gets the blame for those decisions either. So it's something to, to keep an eye on as more and more owners uh, learn the hard way that it's far better to find a way to just to just hire somebody you trust and let that person do the job. It's easier said than done. Hell, if I owned a team, I don't know that I'd be able to do it. And fans of every NFL franchise should be very happy that I don't own a team because I probably would decide, you know what? This isn't all that hard. Yeah, I like that guy. I don't care if the coach likes the other guy. I like that guy. And damn it, it's my team. All right, uh, let's take a break. We're return. Uh, we, we mentioned earlier Robert Kraft giving the keys to Bill Belichick all those years ago. Might be time to take the keys back after Robert Kraft sees where his team has landed in this week's power rankings. We'll discuss those next here on this Wednesday edition of PFS. Around any corner, within every battle. 
And with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Burrow will fake to Mixon. He's going to fling it deep downfield for Jamar Chase. He catches it at the 10 and takes it into the end zone. Touchdown, Bengals, 63 yards. The magic is back. Back to throw to looking, fires deep downfield. Wide open, Tyreek in stride. Touchdown, Miami. Speed kills. Here's a shotgun snap, blitz. He's back, he throws it down the near sideline. Pickens has it. Have four guys, DB's back along with Kelsey. Cousins trying to be harassed. Stepping up, he's sacked! And that will be that! A sack of groceries to take home! It's a grab and go! Hump day homers, no Paul Allen this week because the Vikings lost again, as you saw there at the very end of it. I love that excitement, though. And one thing I noticed as we watched those Tyreek Hill has perfected the the taunt where he throws the fingers, but they're just kind of, you see that? He doesn't uh, flash yeah. them. He just kind of does it yeah. kind of like, I'm just showing it to you. I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not taunting. I'm just, I'm here it is. Here's, I would like to, I'm not going to get the penalty. I might get the fine, but I'm just going to keep the deuces right here where you can see them, but I'm not showing them to you. Yeah. He has perfected that. He's learned his lesson, Mike, not throwing them up, keeping them low. All right. Uh, Some people may be throwing up when they see the power rankings, but we're five weeks in. Teams are starting to settle in. There is a lot of movement, though. I can't quite make, like, the, the middle third of the league. They move around all the time. The top is the top. The bottom is the bottom. These are the power rankings presented by our friends at Toyota. The top three unchanged. 49ers, Eagles, Chiefs, and the 49ers are locked in at number one. They're staying there until they lose, and they may even stay there if they do lose at some point. They have a showdown with the Eagles coming up later this year. A lot of people would like to see that game sooner rather than later. Top 10, you know, people 
Why are the Seahawks at six? Well, who else is going to be at six? Why are the Jaguars at seven? Who else is going to be at seven? Where are the teams with one loss, or the Jaguars have two, but where are the great teams? The Cowboys dropped down to nine, as they should, after getting their asses kicked by the 49ers. I mean, there are not a lot of great teams this year, Shereen, and it makes me even more confident that the 49ers are going to be standing there at or near the end of the road because you look around the league, who's in a position to compete with the very best teams in football and the 49ers, in my mind, the very best. They're one, and even though the Eagles are 5-0, there's a gap between the 5-0 49ers and the 5-0 Eagles in my mind. My absolute first thought when I looked at this, I'm like, why are the Seahawks six? And then I was like, who are you going to put there? Like, you start looking at it. There's like five really good teams, I think, on that list. And then I look at the bottom of the list. There's probably seven really bad teams. I don't know, five, six, seven, somewhere in there, bad teams. And then there's just this lump in the middle that some of those teams are going to make the playoffs some of them are, are not going to make the playoffs, but it's hard to say right now which of those teams in that lump are going to make the playoffs. They're all just kind of there. So, yeah, I, I don't know that there's many more teams than the top five. I know you like the Seahawks. Well, as you said, we're going to find out around Thanksgiving what they have, but there's not many teams below that that – I would even say have any sort of chance to do anything. And maybe the Bengals. I mean, the Bengals looked really good. Joe Burrow looked good. Maybe they get on a run there. They're at, what, 22 right now. Maybe that's the team that moves up on this list very quickly. Maybe they get up into that top five, six in a hurry if Joe Burrow continues to play like he played. But, yeah, there's – It's very, you know, there's just a few teams, I think, at the top, Mike, and that's really what stood out to me. Who do you put at six? There's always that team at or around Thanksgiving that begins to figure it out, that gets hot, that knows they are a loss or two away from elimination, and they start winning and winning and winning, and they win enough, and they've experienced that playoff mentality for enough weeks of the regular season that it carries over very nicely into the actual postseason and they become a dangerous out in the playoffs. That's what the best teams need to worry about. That one or two team per conference that is going to find their groove late, get in by the skin of their teeth, have nothing to lose, and can show up and knock you out, especially if you're the team that has the bye and didn't play wild card weekend while that low-seeded team built even more confidence, validated its late season run by winning a wild card game. And then they come in, they catch you early with an uppercut. And the next thing you know, you're done. That's the concern for the two one seeds this year. Although I think even for the 49ers, it really doesn't matter. Now we showed the back half of the power rankings and I violated one of my, and I don't have many rules when it comes to the power rankings, but one of the loose unwritten rules is that if you're the last winless team, you're last in the power rankings. I gave the Panthers a reprieve. They had been 31. They stayed at 31. I can't ignore what's going on with the Patriots. When you lose 38-3 to the Cowboys, a game that, hey, they're not the only team that's going to lose 38-3 to these Cowboys. 
You get on the wrong side of the Dallas Avalanche. It goes 14-0, 17-0, 24-0. Before you know it, it is 38-3. That's how it goes when the Cowboys come up against a team that they are physically more dominant than. But when you follow it up after having the worst loss ever in the Bill Belichick era, the worst loss he's ever suffered as an NFL head coach, you come home against a beatable Saints team and you don't score a single freaking point? You lose 34 to nothing to the Saints at home? Combined score in two games of 72 to 3? Are you kidding me? That is your ticket to 32. Right now, the Patriots are the worst team in football. And maybe they'll turn it around and beat the Raiders. Hey, just because the Raiders beat the, the Packers on Monday night does not mean the Raiders are an easy victor over the Patriots. You got the whole Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, Jimmy Garoppolo angle. The Patriots know Garoppolo well. They'll know how to confuse him and confound him. But even if the Patriots beat the Raiders, I mean, they're, they're just done. There's no coming back from 38 to 3, 34 nothing. When you look at the talent level on that team, there's no coming back from it. And I'm I I'm reluctant to say it because I don't need this played back in January if the Patriots somehow pull a rabbit out of their hat and make it to the playoffs. But how would it happen? Bill Belichick says they're starting over. Starting over with what? You're going to fire the team and get new players? What can you do to start over and make this team better, Shireen? Right now, they deserve to be number 32. And the question is, how long will they stay there? And how high will they ever even get? Are they ever getting out of that fourth column of 25 to 32? I don't think they're going to do that this year. Well, Mike, the best play for them right now might be tanking for Caleb Williams, frankly, and I think that would be a place that he would want to go, regardless of who the coach ends up being next year, because he saw what Tom Brady did in New England. He saw Robert Kraft uh, construct the hire the coach and could help construct that team by hiring the right coach, Bill Belichick, who buys the groceries and cooks the meals both for them. So they were 5-11 and 11 in 2000. This is the worst team I think they've had since then. They were 8-9 and nine last year. This team is worse than last year's team. Are they sellers at the trade deadline? I'd be sellers if I were them. I would tank for Caleb Williams. The question becomes, Mike, what happens to Bill Belichick? If he's not in New England last year, I don't think he retires, but where does he end up if he's not in New England? Well, let me back up a step. Because you've, you've intrigued me with the tanking suggestion. And there is a very real business reason. And the NFL tries to ignore the connection between the worst team in a given regular season and the best position in the draft. They want to hype that up. Ooh, number one pick, number one pick. But they don't want to talk about how the team got it because they don't want to acknowledge the fact that there is a very real temptation from a business standpoint. When you know you're not going to the playoffs – who cares if you're 3 and 14, 4 and 13, 2 and 15, 1 and 16? Nobody cares. Nobody even remembers what your final record was. All that matters is you didn't make the playoffs. And oh, you got the first overall pick in the draft. Bravo. Let's go see what we can do. But how do you implement a tank if you're New England? Because Bill Belichick's still going to try to win. Bill Belichick isn't going to go along with it, especially if he knows he's not going to be there next year. He's not going to play 
Will Greer at quarterback, and actually that may make them better at this point, but he's not going to go along with some you know, ruse of we're going to evaluate our young players, so we're going to empty the bench, and we're going to let nature take its course. And, yeah, they're not going to try to lose, but they're not capable of winning because they're backups for a reason. He's just not going to do that. They almost would have to fire him midseason and hand the reins to someone else and just kind of grease the skids even further toward a natural tank. Something that doesn't look like a tank. It's just got to end with Belichick because we don't need him pulling together three or four wins at the end of the season just to stick it to us and keep us from getting Caleb Williams as we move forward without him. That's the wrinkle here. At some point, maybe he does get hot. At some point, maybe he does rally and win a few games because he knows it's ending. I don't know. But if they're serious about trying to position themselves for Caleb Williams, I don't know that having Belichick as the coach through the end of the year is the right way to make it happen because he's not going to be on board with any strategic plan to tank, Shereen. Well, I think you trade some of your top players. I think that's one way you you probably do it. And maybe they don't even have to tank for Caleb Williams. Maybe they're bad enough. Maybe they are the 32nd team, Mike. Maybe they're bad enough that they're just going to keep losing like this the rest of the year. I don't know how you turn it around. I mean, they don't have any great options, as you said, at quarterback. Bailey Zappi or Will Greer? I mean, you're right. Maybe Mac Jones and and Bailey Zappi and Will Greer are all the same player, and they're going to keep turning the ball over, six turnovers in the last two games. And if you keep doing that, you're you're not going to win anyway. So maybe they don't even have to, quote-unquote, tank. Maybe they just do it naturally because they're just not any good right now. Well, and that's be- – I think that becomes the the right way to consider how this could go. The crafts just need to kind of hope and secretly root yeah. for things to unfold the way they've already started to. You mentioned the possibility of trading away some of your best players. Bill Belichick's in charge. Why would he trade away players now? For draft picks, he's not going to be there to use. He doesn't care. You know, his parting shot would be, let me screw up their draft position as much as I can. Let me get as many wins as I can because those wins keep stacking up and it makes it easier for me to catch Don Shula if I go somewhere else. And he's got pride and ego. He doesn't want to go 1-15. It's 1-16. He doesn't want to go 2-15. and He doesn't want to have that on his record. He doesn't want that. So he's going to keep trying to win each and every week. He's not going to change. That's something Tom Brady said this week on the Let's Go podcast. He's not going to change his style. The problem is his style isn't currently working. So I think that they can't tank, but maybe they just will be bad. And maybe this will continue and they won't find any way out of it. You ask the question, what does Bill Belichick do next? I don't think Bill Belichick falls into the category of guy who instantly, automatically, without question, gets hired somewhere else. Because anybody that would want him would have to be willing not just to fire the coach, you got to fire the GM, and you got to hand the keys to Bill Belichick. And it's going to take time if he goes somewhere else. Remember Gary Myers was pushing the idea a few years back when the Garoppolo-Brady stuff came to a head that – in the aftermath of that, Seth Wickersham had some reporting about dysfunction internally, the Garoppolo camp, the Brady camp, that maybe Belichick wanted to go coach the Giants. The problem is, anywhere he goes, 
He's going to need five years or thereabouts yeah. to get everything in place the way he's got it in place in New England. Does he really have five years? Does he want to spend five years building it up somewhere else? Now, maybe he'd be attracted by a team that has a franchise quarterback. Maybe if the Chargers job comes open. Chargers. But again, yep. Dean Spanos would have to be willing to fire everybody. You got to fire the whole lot of them if you're going to attract Bill Belichick. And you got to be willing to hand him the keys and not be involved. You got you to get out of the way because if you come sniffing around, he's going to give you that dirty look and you're going to run out the door. Yeah, and that's what you'd have to be willing to do, Mike. And maybe it is a place like the Chargers. Maybe it is a place like the Raiders. I don't know how much he can win with the Raiders with Jimmy Garoppolo, but maybe that's, that's an option. I, I don't know, but you're right. It, it would take a lot for a team to hire Bill Belichick and know what they're getting into with Bill Belichick. But, again, it's one of those things. If, if you want to win and you think he's the answer to your team, if you're the Chargers and you're sitting there looking at it and say, we've got a team that's underachieved for the, for the last three seasons, all we need is a good head coach, then maybe you do that. Maybe that's the move you make. Maybe that's the all-in move that you make is go get Bill Belichick. Well, but that's the thing. Okay, and, and we know – that fan reaction, that's a big part of it. Like, going to get Bill Belichick five years ago has a different vibe now than getting Bill Belichick no now. Question. Early 70s, what's he done without Tom Brady? Hey, are you bringing Tom Brady out of retirement too? Like, why do we want Bill Belichick? And, you know, he's got that, that personality and that interaction with others that is not pleasant. There's not a lot of emotional intelligence inside Bill Belichick. He's won enough to overcome it. Where he is right now, I just think that there's a lot of fans out there of a lot of teams that wouldn't want Bill Belichick. They don't want to go down that path. We're going to sign on with a guy who possibly the game has passed him by? I don't know. I just don't think he's going to be the hot commodity he would have been a half a decade ago. And there's been some speculation that maybe at some point he'll go somewhere as executive VP of football operations. That is not a good job for a former coach because coaches yeah. can't stop coaching. We've seen it with Bill Parcells. We've seen it with Mike Holmgren. We've seen it with Tom Coughlin. Coughlin. Coaches can't stop coaching, period. So um, I, I don't know, Shireen. It may be he doesn't get a chance to catch Don Shula. I, all it takes is one owner. I just don't know which owner will be the one to say I'm comfortable handing the keys over to Bill Belichick right now. Would have done it five years ago. I would have run to do it 10 years ago. Right now, is this really in the best interest of my franchise? 72-year-old head coach who has had five not good years without Tom Brady, who had a disastrous final season in New England. How do I sell that to my fan base? It's, it's amazing to even put it in those terms. But I think we're not being fair to reality if we don't. Well, and I think Bill Belichick would have to settle for a lot less money, too. No one's going to pay him what the Patriots are paying. I just don't I don't see that. I mean, he's got to take a step back money-wise because you're right. He's not the same head coach that we viewed five years ago as he is today. It's just it's a different Bill Belichick. He hasn't been able to sustain the success since Tom Brady left. The other thing we don't know about Belichick's situation, and I doubt that this would cause Robert Kraft to keep him around if he's ready to move on. We don't know anything about his contract. We don't know how long it's in place for. We don't know what the buyout would be. 
But again, it doesn't matter because there's there's no good reason to continue this after this year. It really is funny how quickly it's fallen apart. But 72 to 3 will do that. 38 to 3, kind of understandable embarrassment to the Cowboys, followed by 34 nothing at home to a Saints team that I thought they would beat and many thought they would beat. The wheels have come off and uh, the Patriots deserve to be number 32 and we'll see how it goes the rest of the year. We've never experienced this before. One of the great dynasties in NFL history, the one team that cracked the code post-free agency and won six championships, is now lost in the wilderness. How do they find themselves, and where will Bill Belichick find himself next year? Let's take a break. When we return, some injury updates for a couple of important players in the National Football League. We'll do that next here on Wednesday's PFT Live. Shotgun snap. He's back. He's sacked by T.J. Watt. And it's good night, Ravens, one more time. T.J. Watt, the sack master, comes through the biggest of moments. The Pittsburgh Steelers come alive and defeat the Baltimore Ravens to throw that AFC North into some turmoil. And it's delightful turmoil, I might add. Oh, yes, Billy, how sweet it is. T.J. Watt making the play that sealed the victory, the unlikely victory that I fully expected because I know the Steelers well. When you expect them to lose, they find a way to win. Having T.J. Watt helps. You saw the tape there on the left fingers. He's got a badly dislocated finger with torn ligaments. He's expected to play after the bye. He popped the finger back in, remained in the game. He may need to have surgical intervention after the season. He had two sacks and a fumble recovery in that game. And... Look, I know how this ends. He's he's eventually going to have the Tory Holt hand or the Brian Baldinger hand or even mine to a certain extent. I'm not going to like flash my middle finger, but see my see how my 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 middle finger is kind of that. You know what that's from? That's from playing basketball and stoving it like 50 times, where you reach out to like block a pass and it hits your finger just right and it pops the capsule. And it's not quite it's not quite as crooked as football fingers. But we're going to have the crooked T.J. Watt football finger when this is all said and done. But he doesn't care. Football players don't care. He doesn't need his fingers. Tape them all together. Put it in a club. It's even better that way. All he's got to do is go run and take down the quarterback. He doesn't need hands for that. You don't need anything for that. You just need arms. He's so good, Mike. And, and I do think right now he's a leading candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. Eight sacks. Led the league in sacks two of the last three seasons. The only season he didn't do it was last year. And, of course, he had that torn pec muscle and knee surgery. So he only played ten games and had five and a half sacks in, in ten games. So this guy is awesome. And I would have had Michael Parsons as lead for that, that award a couple weeks ago. But here's the thing with Micah. Micah's going to play more linebacker now that Leighton Vander Ash is out for a while. So it'll be interesting to see what Micah does. But right now, you look at Micah Parsons, you look at T.J. Watt, you look at uh, Nick Bosa, same guys we were talking about last year and the year before, the same guys that were going to be in for that award. But you look at it now, and T.J. Watt's just been outstanding so far this year. By the way, you saw T.J. Helmet, uh, T.J. Helmet, T.J. Watt remove his helmet or T.J. Helmet <laughs> remove his Watt after that sack that sealed the game. I'll have a lot more on that play, that dynamic during today's PFTPM. We tape it around 1 o'clock Eastern. I do it every Wednesday during football season. There was a moment in the Chiefs game 
that moment in the Steelers game. There's an old moment from a Browns-Chiefs game that Miles Simmons knows all too well. I'm going to talk about the whole removing the helmet foul and when it should be called, when it shouldn't be called, when it is called, when it isn't called, when it was called this weekend, and when it wasn't called. All right, speaking of the Chiefs, Travis Kelsey, ankle injury. He suffered in the first half on Sunday against the Vikings, came back and played in the second half. The word I got afterward is he's okay, but the reality is short week. Broncos, Thursday night. He wouldn't have practiced on Monday if they had practiced. I hate those Monday injury reports for Thursday games. Nobody ever practices. So they have a practice report when there's never a practice. So they didn't practice, but if they had practiced, he wouldn't have practiced because of the ankle injury. Yesterday, he was limited in practice, and I don't know whether they had a practice or it was a walkthrough or whatever. They have all these caveats, but he's clearly got something with his ankle. He was able to come back and play, but that's one of those injuries where the next morning – you may feel a lot differently than you did during the game while you were able to loosen it up and get back in there. So, it's the Broncos. I mean, if there's any doubt, no no disrespect intended to the Broncos. The Chiefs couldn't beat the Lions without Travis Kelsey. I think they can beat the Broncos without Travis Kelsey, Shereen. Absolutely. And then you get the mini bye week off of that. I just think if there's any doubt at all, you hold him out of this game and get him healthy for for the stretch run because they should be able to beat him with whoever they have out there at that position, uh, Jody Fortson or whoever it is, um, they should be able to win that game. But you look at Travis's numbers so far this year, they're not as great as they have been, but again, he's so good in the red zone, three touchdowns in four games, no 100-yard games yet. So he's due at some point, if he's the healthier he is, uh, the better he's going to be, and again, You're right. Sit him down for the Broncos if you have any doubts about that ankle and let him get fully healthy so we can see what he can do later in the year. And who knows, maybe Mr. Pfizer will welcome having a week off so he can prepare for his upcoming debate with Aaron Rodgers and RFK Jr. That was an invitation that was made yesterday by Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show. Let's take a break. When we return... And, you know, for some reason, the whole Vax Wars thing didn't make it into today's rundown. But I'm sure they knew in the control room I was determined to at least mention the concept of a debate on vaccine efficacy between Aaron Rodgers and Mr. Pfizer. We're going to take a look at the best catches from week five when PFT Live continues right after this. George and I talk every day, three, four times a day. Um, we're not looking to do business with with any of our players that doesn't prevent teams from calling at times you you know and so um you know we just you know you pick the phone up but um that's kind of where it's at and you know we've got a good handle on this current roster and then our vision for the roster a year from now and and you know that's that's the part about improving and getting better but um you know, until you just said it, I, I wouldn't have known it was three weeks away. I mean, I, three weeks seems like an eternity right now. So, Sean Payton, look, the first rule of getting maximum return for any players you might trade is act like you don't want to trade them. They, they clearly wanted to trade Randy Gregory and hardly got anything for him. If they have other guys they're willing to trade, you need to be coy. But why wouldn't they be looking to move some guys? If they have guys that they know aren't going to be on the roster next year anyway, Shireen, trade them now if you can. 
get value so you can build the team that Sean Payton wants. I think one thing that is very clear and that should be very concerning to GM George Payton, Sean Payton doesn't seem to be, feel very strongly about this team that he has. I think that, that he recognizes there's a lot of flaws there that preexisted his arrival. But he didn't feel like that before the year started, or he was faking it because well, no. remember he said he was going to be angry if they didn't make the playoffs. Guess what? You're not going to make the playoffs. Pissed. Sean. I'm going to be pissed. Sorry, London. I'm going to be pissed if I don't make the playoffs. All right. Teams that should be working the phones ahead of the trade deadline coming up in just two weeks and six days, either as buyers or sellers. Shereen, who do you got? I'm going to go with the low-hanging fruit here, and that's the Chiefs. they got to get a receiver. Miko Hardman seems like the perfect fit. Not going to cost too much, either in compensation or in money. He was inactive last week, so he's obviously not in Jets' plans. He knows the Chiefs' offense. 693 receiving yards for Kansas City in 2021. Presumably, Patrick Mahomes trusts him. So, I think that's a move they need to make. He would replace Montreal Washington on that roster on the depth chart. So just seems like a natural move for the Chiefs to make, and I'll be surprised if they don't, Mike. And I'm going to say the Jets not as sellers as Michael Hardman. They're already reportedly shopping him. He just doesn't fit in that offense. But as buyers, because when Aaron Rodgers took his $35 million haircut over this year and next year, he – Made it clear he's doing this in part to allow the Jets to go out and do something the Packers never did. They acted like they were doing it, I think, to placate Aaron Rodgers. I think Rodgers expects the Jets to go out and make some moves, whether it's shoring up the offensive line, addressing other positions of need, whatever the case may be. He still acts like he's going to play this year. And even if they don't make moves, they need to be working the phones to create the impression they're trying because their most important employee, even though he's currently unable to play, expects them to do it. Yes, he does. And I think they probably will make some sort of move, Mike. And I also think the Eagles will make some sort of move. Maybe in the secondary. They need safeties or a corner. Jabril Peppers, Jeremy Chin, Buda Baker. Uh, Buda Baker wanted a trade last year. All those players would fit them. If you're looking at corners, C.J. Henderson would help them. A bunch of those players but, you know, this is a team that has made moves during the season in previous seasons. Robert Quinn, Golden Tate are all players that they've gotten in previous years. So I look for them to make some sort of move. And that secondary just seems to be a position where they could shore that up a little bit and become even better because they're going to have to stop the 49ers. They saw what the 49ers did against the Cowboys with all those weapons. You can't have too many safeties and corners. They could get one of those guys and really help that defense. And look. Uh, I'll go with the Broncos in this spot because we didn't make it the Denver Broncos Memorial Draft where they're exempt from it. They should be working the phones or hoping the phones ring. They should be identifying the players that aren't going to be there next year that they can get value for. One guy that I really don't think is going to be there next year is Russell Wilson. I think a lot has to change. They've got like a $35 million injury guarantee that becomes fully guaranteed in March I don't think he'll be there. Not that they're trading him now or then. I don't think anybody's going to pick up that contract. But I think he's in danger of being released after the season. And if you're thinking about making that kind of an overhaul, it's all the more reason to clear out some of the guys that just aren't part of Sean Payton's vision for the future, especially if there are some guys there that aren't all in with what Peyton's doing. And, you know, I've heard some buzz and some chatter and some talk that there may be some guys that just have had enough between Wilson and Peyton. They just have had enough. 
good opportunity to identify those guys and move on from them while you can. Let's move on just for a minute when we come back and wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFT Live. We'll have our final round of the draft of the teams that need to be working the phones in advance of the trade deadline. We'll do that next. All right, one more round of the draft of the teams that should be working the phones either as buyers or sellers in advance of the Halloween trade deadline. Shireen, you're up with pick number three. Key words are should be, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. We talked about going all in, need to go all in. I wouldn't mind them getting a receiver. I don't think they go that route. How about a tight end? Zach Ertz, maybe. Somebody like that. I know they used their second-round pick on Michigan great Luke Schoonmaker, but he hasn't been that yet because he was injured during training camp and the whole offseason. Maybe go get you a tight end. Jordan Hicks, linebacker, you just took a hit there with Leighton Vander Esch. Um, so Jordan Hicks has been a cowboy killer in his career. Maybe you go get one of those two guys, but I think they need to make some moves, Mike, if they're going to catch the 49ers. You know, I wrote something yesterday about the renewal of chatter that the Vikings should trade Kirk Cousins now that Justin Jefferson is headed for IR. I think there's too many moving parts. I think there's too many considerations. I don't think Cousins is going to be willing to waive his no-trade clause because he's 12 regular season games away from getting paid a huge amount of money again. But if I was the Vikings, I'd at least be monitoring. They've got three games before the trade deadline. If they lose two of the three, they're done. Maybe you do get what you can if you're done with Kirk Cousins. And I think the key is this, watching to see if there's an injury to a starting quarterback of a contending team. Remember the Carson Palmer trade to the Raiders? Jason Campbell breaks the collarbone two days before the deadline. The window opens, and there it goes. They should at least be watching for the opportunity, even though I think it's highly unlikely to happen. That's it for today. Shereen, great job. Everybody else, see you tomorrow. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef, and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today.